This is it. Not yet. Two minutes here. Okay, the, the sun often has a deleterious effect on Palmatur. Only question is when does the summer start? But tomorrow is going to be a very hot day, so I think tomorrow is definitely the summer. And I'm just saying that because I heard that on the news. I mean, I don't know anything about the weather. Okay, the story of Korach is a strange story from beginning to end. And it's hard to determine which part of the strange story, story you should concentrate on. Which is like, I mean, in general, Bigadol, as they like to say in Israel, uh, it's just the very idea that somebody would challenge the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu at this particular time is itself difficult for us to understand. But of course, we might explain that as being connected to the fact that Am Yisrael was entering into a period of punishment, and that they would be in the desert 38 years, which might mean that, that Moshe Rabbeinu's promise to lead them to Eretz Yisrael was not going to be fulfilled. If that's the case, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu is no longer the all-powerful leader that he was. And so Korach, can make, or Korach and his uh, cohort can make this rather remarkable claim that we were all there at Har Sinai. But everybody knows that that's not true. That Am Yisrael was there at Har Sinai, but Moshe Rabbeinu was on top of the mountain, and they were on the bottom of the mountain. How could anybody make a mistake about that? So that the, the very fact that he did it, he, Korach, did it, is something that deserves our attention. But beyond that, the process of punishment is extremely complicated. And that's what I want to look at a little bit tonight. I mean, HaKadosh Baruch could have just wiped out the perpetrators, could have just killed them all at the same time, and had to have this very complicated way of doing, of punishing Korach Va'adatot. 
Now, if you look at the at the sheet, just let's go through the psukim a little bit. <clears throat> so you know, I'm, I'm sorry. This, this is about after uh, there was some kind of story about machtot. A machta is a sensor, or what you'd call a yae. A yae is what you use to clean the floor with. Like there's a broom, and there's a yae. So you sweep the into the yae, and then you throw it into the garbage. I'm looking at the women because I'm sure they know about this. But a dustbin, very. But I just told you a word in Hebrew. Yae. If you go to your local tambour and ask for a yae. You're going to get a scream in return. I mean, you have to ask for the right thing. So anyway, a sensor is like a yaeh. Sometimes it has a cover on it, and sometimes it doesn't have a cover on it. What they did with this sensor was that they took the spices, they took some fire, and they took the spices, and when the fire and the spices mixed together, it made smoke and smell. It made a smell, and this smell was put on the of the mizbeach hazahav. The mizbeach hazahav was in the kodesh, like you went from the outside hall to the inside hall. There you saw mizbeach zahav, a golden mizbeach. So all of the people, all of the people who were involved with Korach, were told to take a censer, to fill it with a ketoret, to walk around in a special place. And then there was Aaron HaKohen. He had his machta. And they had their machta. And then a fire came down from heaven and whacked them all. All 250 of them. No. You know, the ones who were with, with Korach. Then, then, so you have this scene that's described in the Torah of everybody lying there dead. And all of these machtot also lying there. They were smoking away. Right? So you have the dead people, and you have machtot. So then the Torah says this, Elazar is Aaron's third son. Unfortunately, they were already dead because they did something similar. They brought an Eish Zara to the bait, to the Mishkan, an Eish Zara. An Eish Zara means an unwarranted not that there's anything wrong with the Ketoret per se, but he played both the wrong time. It had nothing to do with the Avodah that was necessary. So they were dead. Nadav Aviyu. So Aaron, so Moshe says, Tell Elazar, V'yarevet ha-machtot mibena shreifa, Reta eishrei hala, Kika deishu. Well, let's start from the last words. Kadeshu, Kika deishu. What does Kika deishu mean? They have been designated. That's what Kedusha means. It doesn't mean a general word for sanctity. It means a specific word. I mean, they were designated for Avodah in the Mishkan. Right? We talk about the Mishkan. So we have a problem. That's what the Chumash means. We have a problem. What's the problem? Well, what should we do with them? Can't just let them lie there. You can't give them back to the tambur. But you have, you have all of these machtot who, which were designated to be used for the mishkan. <laughs> so you have to do something with them. So Rashi says, you see Rashi? Ki kadeshi. 
you see the second line in the Rashi, Hanachtot are Kadeshim, they've been designated, right? I say the word designated. Vasurim Hanaa. And since they were designated, since they would be designated, we used in the Mishkan, Asurim Hanaa. What does Asurim Hanaa mean? Always Asurim Hanaa means you can't make profit. You can't sell them, you can't use them for some other purpose, you can't do, that's what Asur Bahanad means. Even though Asur, Asur Bahanad in a general sense means you can't have any benefit from it. But we're talking about financial benefit. You can't sell them, you can't make them into anything, you can't use them for something else. All of that is called Asur Bahanad. Sharei is Rashi. Sharei Asaun Kli Sharet, or Klei Sharet, which means they were designated, in other words, a machta is not a unique animal. It's not something you look at it, you know that it's from the Mishkan. But a machta is a machta. But in the world there are machtot that have been designated for use in the Beit HaMikdash. Once the machta is designated for use in the Beit HaMikdash, you can't use it for anything else. So here you have all these machtot lying around on the ground, right? So you have to get them. You have to do, you have to do something with them. That's what Rashi is trying to help us to understand. Why the Torah was concerned about these machtot. Okay? Eta machtot achataim ha'ilu, pinachotam, rasuotam. He says, take these machtot achataim ha'ilu. Even though the machtot are kidoshim, they are also the machtot of the chataim. So you have a dilemma. There's a dilemma. On the one hand, they're designated for use in the Mishkan. On the other hand, they were used for some terrible thing, for this uh, machloket with the uh, Korach. So what are you going to do? He says, Masuotam rikuei pachim tzipui l'mizbeach. Rikuei pachim tzipui l'mizbeach. So rikuei pachim means you beat them into a, a flat kind of sheet, right? This, uh, this, uh, what do you call it? These machtot. As we've learned previously, I'm sorry, it doesn't say it here, but, but it says the machtot were made of nechoshet. Nechoshet is generally understood as being copper. Copper is something that generally like real copper, you see copper has a reddish color to it, right? A bright red or a dark red. There are different kinds of, of mixtures of things. But that's copper. So they, uh, they, took, they take the machtot and beat them into sheets. Sipui la misbeach. Sipui la misbeach. Let them cover up the Mizbeach. Now what Mizbeach are we talking about? There were two. Two Mizbechot in the Mishkan slash Mikdash. Right? One on the inside and one on the outside. The one on the inside is called Zahav. And the one on the outside is called the Choshet. In other words, there was the golden altar and there was the copper altar. Why was the golden altar called the golden altar? Because it was covered by
by sheets of gold. It was, wasn't made out of gold. You can't make anything out of gold if you want it to stand up. You have to figure out a way. So what they had was a frame, this misbeth, and that frame was covered by gold. Now what about, now we know that, that's for sure. Now what about the misbeth lechoshet? Which misbeth is that? What? Where they can, right, it's also called, it has many names. One of the names are, is Mizbeach HaOlah. Because twice a day, every day, they brought the Korban Tamit, which was a Korban Olah. Besides the Korban Olah, all the Chata'im, all the Chata'im, the Korbanot Chata'at, and all the Ashamim are also the Korbanot that you brought because you're blamed of something. That's uh, what there is a Chata'at and Asham is is not clear to me. But Chatat and Hashem, all these, all these korbanot, which are about animals being um, um, sacrificed, right, in fire, were done on that Mizbeach. Now the animals were not killed on the Mizbeach. They were slaughtered below the Mizbeach. There were these rings that were put into the ground where the animal was held in place, and then they were able to do Shrita on that animal. Then they took the, they dissected it a little bit, they took the parts that were supposed to be burned up to the top of the Mizbech. The Kohanim walked on a ramp to the top of the Mizbech. Now the Mishnah concludes that the, that the area of the Mizbech at the top was 32 Amma by 32 Amma, which is very big. If this is an Amma, this is an Amma. <laughs> Not if this is an Amma, so it's about a foot. Right, an amma is about a foot. Let's say, you know, without arguing about what it is more precisely. So 32 feet by 32 feet is not small. It's not a small area. So that the Kohanim were running around on top of the Mizbeach. Some of them were taking care of the fire, and some of them were cleaning up stuff, and some of them were bringing the animal parts that had to be burnt on the Mizbeach. Now that Mizbeach, that big, tremendous Mizbeach, 32 feet by 32 feet at the top. It was wider at the bottom than it is at the top. It was built like a Lego. It was like, there's first this, and then a step in, then that, and another step in, and then that, right? So there were three steps in this, uh, in this Mizbeach. Three steps, um, and the highest step was 32 Amma by 32 Amma, which is quite big. There were also two ramps. There was like a direct ramp. They call that express. And then there was local. There was another ramp where you had to go in two directions. Like you walked up the ramp, like you're walking away from the Mizbeach, and then suddenly the ramp turns around and you're walking towards the Mizbeach. Right, so those are two ramps that go up to the Mizbeach. So in any event, what does it say in this Pasuk? Well, that's a lot of things that are going on here. First of all, how come, what do you mean you put, you, was this a new idea to put the Nechoshet on the Mizbech? No, the Mizbech was already built at the end of the book of, of Shemot. The Mishkan was built. We're in Bamidbar. Okay, Vayikra, there's no, there's the very little time passes in Vayikra. But, but uh, now in Bamidbar, there's a Mishkan, isn't there? 
I mean, there's a place where they do Avodat Hashem, and so there's a Mizbeach. Allah comes to Torah and says, you know what you should do with the Machtot of Korach Ba'adatot? Beat them into sheets and put them on the Mizbeach to make it into a Mizbeach Nechoshet. So if the Mizbeach was supposed to be Nechoshet, why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu make it that way? And if he did make it that way, then what is this all about? Why does it say, you know, so in any event, Rashi doesn't help us. If you look at, at Rashi, we said, Sipui Lemizbeach, that's the sixth line in the Rashi column, Lemizbeach HaNechoshet. So I said, okay, I know it's within the Mizbeach, why did they call it the Mizbeach Nechoshet? Wasn't it already covered with Nechoshet? I mean, that would be, that's my question. Okay, V'yilaot, V'yilaot, and then every time they look at the Mizbeach, they're going to see the copper on the Mizbeach, and they're going to say, Copper Korach, right? That's called Zikaron, Sheyomru. People will say, Elu he this is about, well, we remember the fact that, uh, that in, the, in the, the face-off between Aaron Akoin and Korach Vadato, Aaron Akoin won, and everybody else, everybody else lost. So that's called Zikaron. Okay. Pasuk Dalit, Vaikach Alazar, Kohedit Machtot, Anachoshet, Asher Kriva, Asrufim, Vayirakum, Tzipur, Lemezbeach. So he did it. Elazar Kohed, he took the Machtot, he beat them out, and then Vayirakum, that's beat them out, Tzipur, Lemezbeach, and he made them a cover for the Mezbeach. Zikaron, the Vnei Yisrael, Amana, Asher Yukrav, Izar, Asher Omekeh, Mezer Aaron, that means that like, there were two fights going on. There was Korach against Moshe Rabbeinu, and then there were the Bnei Levi against, against Aaron. So that the punishment, the victory of Aaron is represented by the Machtot, and the Machtot became Tzipui Lamiz Beach, and that's why, according to this, if that's why we call it Mizbach uh, Nechoshet, or because it was supposed to be a Mizbach Nechoshet that happened, like God said, we'll see, that that Tzivui, to make a Mizbach Nechoshet, took place much earlier. But that's what, that's what the Pasuk says. Uh, okay, I, I, I don't know about the rest, that's for a different shir. This is enough for us. Uh, you see the last of the Pesach Hay? You end the Pesach Hay? Pesach Hay says, uh, if we try to translate it, It's okay, you know, it's like, it's like Hebrew. The worst thing is when you understand all the words and you still don't understand what it says. Then, then you're really in trouble because you can't look at any. Where are you going to look? The dictionary won't help you. So what does it say? Low. So we would be happy if the low would be excised. What is low? To, to whom? To him. So Rashi says this. You see Pasukhe in the Rashi. That low, Rashi says, is like these little prepositions in Hebrew are very difficult to define. And it, because they don't always seem to have a precise meaning, but they have a, a syntactical spot. You know, it's like, 
when the sentence is this kind of sentence, so you'll have this kind of preposition, which is a way of saying, like a very complicated way of saying, I don't understand what the preposition is doing there. I mean, I don't know if you're, if you're following me, but uh, I used to like grammar a lot until I found out. Then I didn't like it so much. Rashi says, about, uh, to him, or about him, that God spoke to Moshe about Aaron. That he and his son should be called, he, Aaron, and his sons would be called and it was this idea, according to Rashi, that some people are in and some people are out. The people who are in can do sacrifices, for example. The people who are out, that's most of us, are czar. We're on the, it took a lot of effort to get B'nai Yisrael to understand that this, in fact, is how it would always be. So he says, and therefore, the use of these little words, right? The chain called li, wherever you find the word li in the passage, or the word lo, or the word lahem, we call them pronouns. We call them pronouns, and they're often unnecessary. We know who they're talking about. We don't need the we don't need the pronouns that come after the verb bet resh. Right? Smuchim that means they're leaning on or connected to a verb bet resh. It means to speak. Right? Dibur pitronam timoal. They always mean about. The word about. So again, how does it explain the posot? Tashay bibe Hashem biad Moshe al Aharon. Instead of saying al Aharon, the posot says lo. But if it was about a, a, a group of people, it could have said lahem. Lo lahem. That's what Rashi, that's what Rashi uh, uh, explains. Umedrasho. You know what that means? In the words, in the words of the Chastei David, in the words of the Chastei David, they wrote a very important parish uh, on uh, Rashi. That's called what? Look, Shalmiyahu doesn't remember. Why should I remember? The Chastei David was Rabbi David Fardu, and he wrote a famous parish on the Tosefta called the Chastei David. But he also wrote a parish on Rashi. In that parish of Rashi, he adopts the position, he lived hundreds of years ago, he adopts the position that when Rashi gives two perushim, he gives two different perushim, he's not satisfied with either. Now that was a position that was adopted by Nechama Leibowitz when she taught Rashi. But of course, uh, it could be wrong. Just because the Chastei David said it and uh, the Chamalei was liked it doesn't mean it's right. Another possibility is that Rashi thought that both Perushim were correct. Was, uh, uh, why say that he thought that both Perushim were incorrect? Why not say he thought that both Perushim were correct? Sounds to me like a more, uh, like a happier position. 
So generally, I have that position. Right? Masculine David. Right, Isa? Masculine David. Thank you very much. You can always count that show, yeah. Masculine David, it's called. You can buy it in the store. It's been reprinted. It's an outstanding commentary on Rashi because the Adolfi do is a tremendous time of Chochem, which seems to be always helpful in these kinds of projects. Uh, so, so, but here, I beg, I, I, the masculine David might be correct. Because look, what does Rashi say? Umedrasho al-Korach. Umedrasho al-Korach. When he says Umedrasho, Rashi means that even though I, Rashi, am committed to Pshat, right? Rashi says that many times in his commentary on the Torah, in the parashiyot, the Breshit and Noach. He says, I am committed to Pshat. And what Pshat is, according to Rashi, is usually a reasonable rendition of the words in order. Like you read the words, and it should make sense. But sometimes, Rashi says, the words as they are written don't make simple sense. And I have to resort to Medrasho. Medrasho is something that makes sense, like Bigadol. When you're not looking at the Pasuk too carefully, makes sense. When you look at the Pasuk, where does it come from? So what's a Medrasho in this case? Medrasho al al Korah. That the Pasuk, these words, Ro means about Korah. But Korah is already dead. At least, in other words, according to the Vedrash, it would, it would be reasonable that you have this strange structure to tell you a reference to Korah. The reason it's not Pshat is because no one's talking about Korah anymore. People are talking about the aftermath of the punishment and the Ketorah. So that's what Rashi, that's what Rashi says. Umal biad Moshe. So how come the Pesach says the words biad Moshe, the hand of Moshe, and not el Moshe? Remez. Now remez is another word that Chazal used for a kind of interpretation. It's like this pshat. We definitely don't know what that means. But it seems to be closer to the text than remez. And even closer, the remnants is even closer than drash. It, it always pshat, anybody can make up a pshat. But a drash, you can't. The drash is only what the Chachoman told us. And the remnants is similar. Pshat is easy. Pshat, you, everything go. You go make up your own pshat all the time. That's called being modern. But the, but the Ramban, for example, thought that that was an irrelevancy unless you could connect it to a tradition of interpretation even though even if that tradition of interpretation was the Kabbalah. How so? What do you think that is? That's obviously not Pshat. It was, it was Rashi says means he reminded him about the Yad that turned into a leprous arm when Moshe Rabbeinu was there with Paro. Like, why? Why is that? So why does that all make sense? Because then Moshe Rabbeinu has content. And the content is, And that's what Rashi's 
interest was. Rashi's interest was giving content. But since, if you say that it was Korach, there's no real content, because the whole thing is about Korach. So we have to, we have to go to the Medrash to construe a content that fits with this Pasuk, even though it's far from obvious. But as far as Rashi's concerned, better to have far from obvious content than have no content. You see, you have to understand that Rashi, Rashi didn't question Chazal. What Chazal said, Yad Moshe means it was about Moshe's arm, that's what Chazal said. Rashi didn't say, didn't have any trouble. He believed them. It was not a... It was, didn't call on his, on his faith or his theological positions. Rashi believed everything Chazal said. That was, that was obvious. What was, what was Rashi's question? What was Rashi, what issue did Rashi deal with? His issue was pshat. That was his issue. And one of his limitations when he dealt with pshat was that he wanted the Torah to mean something. He wanted meaning to come out of it. So if you read the Pasuk and there's not much meaning, so Rashi didn't like that. And if he couldn't give it more meaning, so he looked to Chazal. And when he looked to Chazal, he said, look, I believe Chazal are right. But that doesn't mean that Chazal are pshat. But I'll quote them in order to give meaning to the Pasuk. It's important for the people who are learning Torah to know that the Pasuk has some meaning. I hope this all wasn't too annoying and complicated. In any event, that's what, that's what Rashi says that the... Uh, uh, that the Pesach says. And then there's a story about, uh, about how this actually happened. And there was a Magifa, etc. Okay, so now if I ask you, I ask you, what was the problem? I mean, there are two things here in Rashi. But let's go back to the first. The first is, what were the Machtot? What was, what was the, the classification, the din of the Machtot? So Rashi says, Right? Three definitions. But one is, Rashi says, uh, No, two definitions. Which means, I told you, that you can't derive any financial benefit from them. You can't sell them, you can't use them, you can't use them for some, for some other purpose, you can't use them to clean the house. Those are the machtot. And the second thing he says is, Sharei asa'um kli sharet. That Moshe Rabbeinu made them part of the kelim of the Beit HaMikdash, and that seems odd to us. What do you mean, when he made them the kelim of the Beit HaMikdash? God told him that everybody should take a machta, and they were outside of the Mishkan. A Mishkan, when I say Beit HaMikdash, I get mixed up, but I mean the Mishkan the tabernacle. So they were outside. They weren't doing service in the Mishkan. Who said that they were klisharit? How did Rashi know this? Now the, the commentary that brings this up is the Ramban. And the Ramban says this. You see the Ramban at the bottom of the page? Ki kadeshu hamachtot Rashi. Right? Quote of Rashi. Lo yadati ta'amli he says, I don't get it. Ramban says he doesn't get it. It means you don't get it either. Right? That, that's how it works. That, that's how it works. So he says, Lo yadati tam li su hazeh. Shari ketoret zara hikrivu. 
After all, what did they, what did they, uh, what was their sacrifice? They took a machta, they put fire on it, they put, uh, this, they put these uh, samim, the samim, spices on it, they made a lot of smoke, but they didn't go into the mishkan. They didn't, they didn't do anything. They just stood there, and they were punished for being involved in this, in this test. Sharek Torah Zarahi Krivu. He says, everybody knows this halacha. If you don't know the halacha, you can imagine that it is true. That if a person decides that he's going to be like a Kohen, and he's going to take a machta, and he's going to put the spices on it, and the fire, and he's going to do it he's going to do what the Kohen does inside, he's going to do it outside, no mikudash. So we have to worry, so then you take his yahe, you take his sensor, and you could use it for cleaning the house afterwards. I mean, he did, the, he did something wrong, but it's not a cliche, right? This is the Ramban. So the Ramban is really the one. Rashi is helpful, because Rashi says that there was a real problem that had to be solved. The real problem was Kadosh. What am I going to do with the Kadosh? I can't really use it in the Mishkan. I'd have to do something with it. But the Ramban says, not Kadosh. What's all this stuff about beating it out and making it a cover for the Mizbeach? So, so the Ramban says, Avol yesh loma. Ki ba'avush asukein alpi Moshe haya Kadosh. What do you think? Not bad. In other words, if Moshe would have told him to make klisharet, that it certainly would have been a klisharet. But he didn't. He just told them to make machtot, to bring machtot, like the machtot, you know, to go to the tambour and buy machtot. So they did that. But since they did it, according to the command of Moshe Rabbeinu, this is the Ramban's idea, they did it according to the command of Moshe Rabbeinu, it became kadosh. Right? It became, that's what, that's what he says. Because after all, the people who had these machtot, they were hoping that heaven would respond to them. So even though they were bad people because they were fighting with Aaron Akoin about superiority of some sort, but they really were hoping that God would turn his favor upon them. And that, uh, that they would be the ones who would be, who would be successful. They thought that after God, that if God would answer them, and the fire would come down from heaven and then consume the spices on their machtot, that of course everybody agreed that those machtot should be designated for the Mishkan. So their hope was that they would end up as klisharet. In order to end up as a klisharet, you have to start out as a klisharet. In other words, you have to say, this is designated. This is designated for the Mishkan. Right? That's called, uh, that's called klisharet. And then he says, "Ki amakatuf, ki ekrivum l'fnei Hashem, ki etshuv yula ot l'fnei Yisrael klomar, ani hikdash liotam, meich ekrivu otam l'fnei l'fanai, kedesh yula ot l'fnei Yisrael." So the Ramban, 
the Ramban, it comes exactly the same conclusion as, as Rashi, that these Kalim was somehow imbued with Kedusha, and uh, therefore they had to be dealt with. However, what Rashi takes as being self-evident or obvious that they were Klisharet, the Rabban says in a more complicated way. They, they were Klisharet because the people involved, Moshe Rabbeinu and the people who were holding these Machdot, wanted them to be Klisharet, and that's how they designated them to start with. And somehow this goes back to Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the really the designator in these matters. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to tell everybody um, tell everybody there was a cliche rate. Okay. So I want to just, uh, before we go on, we have a few more things to do, as you can see. All right, let's go on. Hey, what can I do? I've got to go on. In Shemot Perikov Zion, Shemot Perikov Zion, which is like a volume that I did not bring. Here, the Pasuk says that when you build the Mizbeach, when we talk about the big Mizbeach, when you built that big Mizbech, it had four turrets. I think they're called turrets. Like four little protrusions in each corner, which were hollow. You know, like you could put the takim in there, asking for the good wishes for someone or other. So there were four turrets. These turrets, the um, Pesach says, were covered with nechoshet. They were covered with nechoshet. Vasita sirotav midashno, v'yaav mizrikotav, etc., v'choshet. All the kalim, all the small vessels that are connected to the mizbeach, this big mizbeach, were made of nechoshet. Vasita lo mechbar maasereshet nechoshet, and there was another, like, um, uh, if I had to describe it without looking at a picture, it was like a cummerbund. You know what a cummerbund is? Mm-hmm. Was that out of, a lot out of date from a different world? What? Yeah, sometimes you have a tuxedo, you, they have these kind of things that cover up your belt called a cummerbund, so you imagine everybody, everybody's perfectly fitted. What? That's a cummerbund, right? So that Ms. Beach had something like that around the middle of it, which actually separated the top from the bottom, because when they had Zrikat Adam, when they did uh, throwing the blood at the Mizbech, a certain korbanot, some korbanot, the blood had to be in the upper part of the Mizbech, and some korbanot, the blood had to be in the lower part of the Mizbech. So this kamaban, right, going around, was assigned to the Kohanim, of where the Zrikat Hadam in the Mizbech should be. And that's called the Mishbar. That's called the Mishbar. And then there's a Karkov. And then it says again, Pasuk Vav, Vasita Badim La Mizbech, Badei Atzei Shitim, Bitsipita Autom Nechoshet. Says Mon Nechoshet. So we have the turrets are covered with Nechoshet. 
Now we have Badim. Badim are poles. Right? The Mizbeach had had holes in it, had, had um, hooks, like hooks or, uh, you know, you could put the Badim in through the hooks and then pick it up. Of course, it's not so easy to understand how they picked up the Mizbeach, but I'll tell you that in a moment. So the vuvlachot is a problem. A luach is a plate. A luach is a plate. Now, according to the Gemara, the way they made it, it was they, they traveled during the 38 years in the desert. Right? So in order to travel, they had to move the Mishkan. The biggest thing in the Mishkan was the Mizbeach. Now, how did they move it? How did they move the Mizbech? Well, you have to think of how they made it. The way they made the Mizbech was that they had a frame that was 34 by 34. Like, you know, like when they build today. You see people build, you know, so they make frames and they fill in the frame with cement. That's how they do it. With the, with the Mizbech, they had a frame and they filled it in with rocks and dirt and seed and uh, whitewash, you know, whatever they could find around, they filled it in. And then they put another frame on that, which is a little bit smaller than the first frame, and they filled that in with rocks and dirt and, and uh, whitewash. And then had a third frame, and they filled it in again, and that's how they built the Mizbeach. But the important thing about building Mizbeach in that way was they could unbuild it. If it was cement, they wouldn't be able to take it apart. They'd have to smash it somehow to take it apart. But since there was nothing, there was no um, cement in this structure where they had to move, all they did was take out all the dirt, take off the frame number one from the top, then take out more dirt, and take off frame number two. And so they ended up with three frames. Three frames representing the Mizbeach. That was the Mizbeach. And that they were able to carry. That they were able to carry on these poles, uh, more or less. I mean, I'm not saying that I've solved this problem 100%, but that's more or less, more or less the way it went. So that there is Nechoshet. This is the Mizbeach that was built. This is the Mizbeach that was built um, in the Mishkan. It looks like, I mean, it's in the parish of the Mishkan. So, the, so that the Mizbech and the Mishkan had the Nechoshet, but we're not sure how much Nechoshet it had. It had Nechoshet on the Padim, and had Nechoshet on the turrets. But we don't know if it had Nechoshet any place else. There's another Pasuk, right, Pasuk of Perikaf, which is in Truma. It says, you see on the same page, the third, the third reference, the second reference is wrong, I'm sorry. I wanted it to be Perik Memchet. It turned out to be Merit Mem Hay. I guess that says something. Shmot Perik Kaf Pasuk Kaf Alev. It says, Mizbach Avanim Taseli, Lotu Neh and Gazit. Gazit means hewn stones. Hewn stones are what we use here in Yerushalayim to build, usually. You take a stone and you give it a shape. Right? And then, even though all the stones come out of a quarry, at the end, they all look the same. That's gazit. You take a chisel, a hammer, 
something of steel, something harder than the stone, which is not, you know, a lot of things harder than stones, and the stones are, are made out of sand. I mean, ultimately, they're made out of sand. So that when you build something, first you have to make the stones hewn stones, usually. But here the Pasuk says, don't use hewn stones. Because you did it with a steel implement that's like a cherub, and that's no good for the korban. Now, which, which mizbeach are we talking about? Which is a mizbeach of stones? I just told you that the mizbeach that they made in the... Um, in the, uh, in the Mishkan, in the desert, was not made out of stones, really. It was made out of landfill. Like they put in the fill into the... So is that the Mishkan? Is it also made out of stone? <coughs> anyway, I want to go through the Rashi. It'll take us too long. But if you look at this passage that's on the sheet from Divrei Hayamim, you see Divrei Hayamim? It says, That's Shlomo HaMelech. That Pesach refers to Shlomo HaMelech. The antecedent of Ayas, right, who Asa, is Shlomo HaMelech. He made a Mizbach Nechoshet. In other words, if he made a Mizbach Nechoshet, then what do we say? What do we have to say? Even though, even though as far as we know, what was Nechoshet in the Mishkan? The turrets and the Badim. And when did the Nechoshet come to the Mizbeach on the Mishkan? When did it come? After the Chait? So if I would say, I'm here, I'm Shlomo HaMelech. I'm trying to figure out how you have to build the Mizbeach in the Beit HaMikdash. Now what about the Badim? Well, no Badim. Right, Shlomo did have Badim on his, uh, what, on his Mizbeach, because they're not going to move it any place. How are they going to build it? Well, they'll probably build it up on him and cement. It'll, it'll be connected. That's why we say, in, 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 uh, when we learn the parish of Mizbeach, Mizbeach is always part of the furniture. It's part of the building, not part of the furniture. Right, you understand? The menorah, that's furniture. Why is the menorah furniture? Because you can move it from one place to another. Why is the shulchan furniture? Because you can move it from one place to another. Why is the Mizbeach building? Because it's built into the ground. You can't move it. Once you once Shlomo Melch made the Mizbeach, there's no way, no way to move it. Nevertheless, Shlomo Melch made a decision that the Mizbeach should be a Mizbeach of Nechoshet. Mizbeach of Nechoshet. I just really want to remind you of two other places that Nechoshet comes up. Uh, one place is here. Vayas is not mechoshet. No, that's not. That's divrei yamin. Bamidbar perikav aleph. The nachasha mechoshet. Remember the story of the nachasha mechoshet. Vayishlach Hashem nechashim. Again, vayom Hashem pasuk chet. Vayom Hashem lomoshe seidach atzarat v'simato al nes. Vayakol nashuch ra'auto v'chai. So he would he would put a nachash on a plate. He Shlomo HaMelech 
by Moshe Rabbeinu. He Moshe Rabbeinu put a nachash. All the people who were bitten by the snakes would look up at the nachash and they would be cured, right? That's the story. But believe me, it happened last year, this story. When we got to the, the it was in the Torah last year. Even if you don't remember it. So he said, the Pesach says, listen to what the Pesach says. Asay l'chasaraf. Make a saraf. Like a picture of a, of a snake and put it on a flag or on a, a metal flag. Vayakol and ashuch ra'ot alechai. Right? The Lord comes... What is Nechoshet? Copper. Moshe Rabbeinu made a snake on copper. Or he made a snake out of copper. So that you have to say one of two things. Either Moshe Rabbeinu looked around and the only thing he had lying around in the house was a copper, something copper, so he made a snake out of copper, or that he purposely made it out of copy. He could have made it out of cardboard. He could have made it out of oak tag, we used to say. Oak tag. So, uh, uh, he made it out of copper. So what is Moshe Rabbeinu? What's Moshe Rabbeinu's relationship to copper? Well, the Mishkan. What was made out of copper in the Mishkan? Well, all of these small kalim that are connected to the Mizbeach and... And the kiyor, yeah, So the mizbeach had the kiyor. In fact, we could make a generalization. We are going to make it a generalization. And not the mizbeach. But the mizbeach eventually was covered with copper. It wasn't made out of copper. But it was covered by copper. Because that's what happened at the Korach. So that the outside of the base of Mikdash was the world of copper. And the inside of the base of Mikdash was the world of, of gold. The menorah, the shulchan, the mizbeach haktoret, all gold. Right? All gold. The gold was not connected to the ground, all furniture. The mizbeach, the nechoshet, and the kiyor, these tremendous uh, kelim, were either made out of copper or covered with copper. Covered with copper, the karnota mizbeach, the badim, Right, were covered with Karnot the Mizbeach, the Badim, with something else, and the Mizbeach. And the Mizbeach, after Korach, after the fate of Korach, the Mizbeach was also covered, covered with, uh, with copper. So that's the next, uh, uh, the next uh, uh, source. Vayasat ha-kiyon nechoshu kanon nechoshu barot ha-tzobot asher tzobu petach We once talked about this at great length, and we don't have the time tonight, but you remember that you have to remember that the kiyor, which is big, like it was where the, the kohanim washed their hands and feet. Remember? One hand, one foot, one hand, one foot. Uh, the water was in the kiyor, and the kiyor was made of, the Apostle says, the choshet, and kano is the choshet. In other words, the kiyor was like a tureen, like a soup tureen, which didn't have a flat bottom. And so if you put it down, it would fall over. But they put this tureen into a stand. That's called kano. So the tureen was made out of nechoshet, and the stand was made out of nechoshet. So there's all outside. They're all the outside part of the Beit HaMikdash, the Mizbeach, the Badim, the Karnot, the Kiyor, right? All of that is made, all of that is made of 
fat, all the small came in that go with the beta, with the mizbeach, all of that is, is what do you call it? All of that is copper. All of that is copper. Now before I uh, tell you, I do want to tell you one thing that the major says it's not written on the sheet. Somebody told me that once, that no matter how much material you give out to your students, if you're a teacher, no matter how much material you give out, you have to save something as a surprise. Otherwise, you're on sort of even keel with the students, which is uh, always a bad thing. So there's a medrash in Medrash Rabbah. If you want to know where it is, I'll give you the source afterwards. Reishat Rabbah. Omar Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish was the first, was the last generation of a Moraim in Eretz Yisrael. The important thing is that he was in Eretz Yisrael. Lo hayaba olam ra'ul there was no one who was really appropriate for gold. Like, you, like gold is out of the box somehow. So why did God create gold if no one is really worthy of the gold? In order that the inside room in the Beit HaMikdash with the Shulchan and the Mizbeach HaKtoret and the Menorah should be able to be built of gold. So gold was created. Gold was created. That's interesting. Now before we ask when was gold created exactly, I mean like, what do you mean gold was created? Everything was created. Uh, you know, well, it's gold. What is the measure referring to? Let's just look quickly at the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar, I can't tell you who the Kliyakar is. You want to know? Google Kliyakar. Vasita Shmot. Vasita Mizbeach Muktaktar Datsheshitim Tasseota. The Mizbeach of the Ktoret was built with Datsheshitim. What does Datsheshitim mean? Just like they build here. It's like, well, you build a house. Because they had these planks, and they put the planks one up on the other, and then they could cover the planks with the gold. I mean, they had to, they had to build something. You couldn't just make it out of gold. So they, they made it out of wood, basically, and they covered it. They covered it with the gold. And that's called, uh, let's look at the Kliyakar. If I see them, it's very protected about this command. It seems, seems, I mean, we would say it seems to me. But he says it seems. That these two altars, the one of gold and the one of Nechoshet, were created in order to atone the soul of the sinner. Kim is Bach Anachoshet. He said the the copper misbeh, the big misbeh outside, Balachapel Chalkeha Chomer Vahaguf Anaguf the Evanachet. He says that takes care of the goof, the outside misbeh. How so? Alabla Krivima Bale Chayim as somebody said here before 
that all the animals are sacrificed on that big Mizbeah. And after all, what is an animal sacrifice? The Kliyakar lived long after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Nevertheless, he says, if you have to try to understand what, the, what an animal sacrifice is, he says, In other words, instead of my body deserves to be punished for what I did. Instead of my body being punished, I said, I give Korbanot, and, and, and that takes care of my body. <coughs> because animals have arms and legs and heads, and, and so, so you can say the head is for the head, and the back is for the back, and the arms are for the arm, right? In other words, somehow this is kind of a parody which they, and, and people uh, go for it, as evidenced by uh, by Shlogan Kaporis. You know about Shlogan Kaporis? Shlogan Kaporis, when I was a kid, I never even heard of it. You had to go to Africa to see somebody Shlogan Kaporis. Today, today it's embarrassing not to do it. You know, it's like you have to defend yourself. You say, oh, the Shulchan Aruch says you shouldn't do it. You say, oh, well, we did away with that all the time. No, but it's just odd. How things change without us noticing always. And suddenly we're in a different world. And even though we were certain that the world used to be just fine, all of a sudden no one else thinks so. Everybody thinks that you're crazy if you think that world was fine and you have to take the chicken and, and wrap it around your head. And you tell them, you tell them that you never saw your Rebbe do it or you never saw his Rebbe do it. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They just—they just like an a priori assumption that if you don't do it, there's something wrong with you. So there's nothing you can say that vindicates yourself. This is like a wonderful. If Israel could learn how to do that in their own public relations uh, enterprise, so it would be really—it would be really terrific. But unfortunately, uh, Israel tries to do it, but nobody believes them. So he says, uh, he says, "Ki yeshdem dimyon el chomer adam." Now. He says, he says, after all, the top part of the Mizbeach is Gimel Amot, and that's more or less the height of a person. I don't know where the measurements come from. In other words, uh, a person, a person is like an animal in certain ways, but not only like an animal, because he says, I'm on the fifth wide line in the middle of the line. Fifth wide line in the middle of the line. So I got in, in the web yeshiva, I just make a mark, so it's much easier. But here I have to do the old style. Nikol makom, gam haneshama tzricha kapara. This is ideology. So it's not only the body that does the avera, but somehow the neshama, the soul, is compliant. Also does an avera. Achrei asher itamu b'gufa nignagufa zeh. You can't say that the neshama is going to be atoned because you sacrificed an animal on the mizbeach. 
ונפסד. תמירה, נפסד אדם חייב לנצח, רק אין ציווה, אין חי לעשות מזבח כתורת. אמר לה השם ברך נכון לשם לכפר על רוח בני אדם. So he, he, he has everything, if you have time you should take a look at this. He says this, he says why do you need to, to visit in the Beit HaMikdash or in the Mishkan? Because we are really comprised, this is like not a new idea. But uh, he says we're also comprised of, uh, but it, it's still helpful, even though it's not new. We're comprised of two parts, you know, there's like, we have Yetzirah, uh, and we have inclinations, and we have high and lofty thoughts. And somehow, his, his position is that the Tava, that the inclinations that we have to do our various, and the various that we do, there's a certain compliance of the spirit within us. It's not as though the spirit goes to sleep and doesn't participate, but according to the Kliyaka, the spirit also take, plays a role. Therefore, atonement has to come to both parts of ourselves. And so there are two Mizbechot. There are two Mizbechot, one Mizbech inside, one outside Mizbech. Outside is Kapara for the goof, for the, the perpetrator and the Avera doer, and the uh, the, uh, um, the uh, Mizbech on the inside, the golden Mizbech, where you put the Ketoret and the smell goes up to heaven, and the Pesach says in the beginning of Vayikra, that somehow this finds favor in God's eyes, not the sacrifice of the animals, but the Reach Nichoach of the Ketoret finds, uh, finds, um, finds favor in God's eyes. So now having, having said all of this, I'll tell you what I want to say. <laughs> Where did the gold come from? Remember the gold? Isn't that what we asked? Like, one of the questions we asked, where's this gold? I mean, if, if the world is not really worthy for gold, of gold, so why is there gold? In other words, we know that the world was not worthy of light. What happened to the light? So Chazal said that the light was taken away. And Olam Abba, the righteous, will benefit from that light. So why didn't the saving happen to Zahab if not worthy of Zahab? So I remind you, I remind you then, in, the, in Perik Beis, in Perik Beis it says this, uh, Perik Beit Pasuk Yud, one of the Pasukim is on the sheet, for the Haryot say me Eden, there was a river that came from Eden. Eden, that's the place that Adam and Chava was supposed to be. What is it that designates Aden? Everything is right. Everything is as it should be. They couldn't live there. They weren't able to put up with that kind of level of, of perfection. So, Nahar Yotzei Aden Lashkot Et Agan Umisham Barashim One river became four. We're talking about the Gan. The thing that, that, uh, that makes us feel uh, that there's perfection in the Gan is that there's an ongoing source of water that is never questioned. Not like Eretz Yisrael, where there's always a problem with water. But Gan Eden, Gan Eden means that you always have the fruit or the trees and everything is growing, but in order to make sure that that happens, you need water. So here's the water. Now how you'd say the Eden Ashkot to the Gan,
as a hub. That's what the Pasuk says. That this river, this river called Pishon, would go around the land called Chavila, and that land was known as Asher Shamha Zahav. In other words, in Gan Eden, there was a special place. There was a special place where everybody knew Adam and Chavah. They knew Asher Shamha Zahav. What's Tov mean? Tov means created. It was designated again by God. That's what Tov is. Everything God did was Tov, meaning it was done. That this was part of the creation, Aksham Abdullah, Ebn Hashoam, other kinds of stones, other kinds of stones as well. So we see we see that after the date, after the Cheta Ego, after the Cheta Ego, many things in the world could no longer be reconciled. They couldn't be one after the Cheta Ego. Even though Chazal say in the Gemara and Shabbos that when Am Yisrael went to Har Sinai, they had atoned for the Cheta of Adam Marisha. They reached such a level of, uh, of uh, dedication that the hate of other origin wasn't their hate anymore. However, they were not able to build the Beit HaMikdash. They were not able to build the Beit HaMikdash out of gold. Because if gold is the, for the Beit HaMikdash, as the Medrash says, then everything should be built out of gold. But after the Chet Ego, remember the Ego? The Ego was built out of gold. Gold was no longer, no longer able to provide Am Yisrael with the spiritual outlet that it should have. And so when HaKadosh Baruch Hu told B'nai Yisrael to build the Mishkan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them, gold is for the Mishkan, but not the whole Mishkan. The Mishkan will not be built after the Cheta Egel, could not be built out of gold. So the division was that the inside Kalim were made out of gold, and the outside Kalim were made of Nechoshet, which is an indication that the Cheta Egel changed things. Right? Because if we're always on our way, like the Ramban says, we're always trying to get back to Gan Eden, always trying to live a perfect life. So we almost had it, but the Cheta Egel destroyed it. And we were no longer able to build, we were no longer able to build a Mishkan of Zahav. And that's why the emphasis in the, in with Shlomo HaMelech is that when Shlomo HaMelech built the Mizbeach, he built it out of Nechoshet. Because he knew that even he, even he, uh, Shlomo HaMelech, who had uh, wealth and power and authority, that even he could not build a Mizbeach, build a Mizbeach out of gold. And so, when the Chet of Korach took place, and there was a challenge to Aaron, to Aaron Akoi, that challenge, that challenge increased the Nechoshet. In other words, there were there's the Khoshad on the turret, there were the Khoshad on the Badim and Badabin. It's hard to put the Khoshad on the on the 
on the Mizbeach. But Korach, uh, the result of Korach, the Zikaron, that's what the Post says, the memory of the Chayta of Korach was that he turned the whole Mizbeach into a Mizbeach of Nechoshet. So we see that if Gan Eden is kind of the, the, uh, you know, and then also, uh, I mean, I just want to say that the Kli Yotar fits in because the Kli Yotar saw our enterprise as being a divided one. We were the Guf and then the Shama. And we had to somehow take care of the Guf and take care of the Shama. And that's really not the way it might have been. But after the, after the Chet of Odom and in Gan Eden, where they were kicked out of the place that had the Zahav. And after the Chet of B'nai Yisrael, the Chet Ego, which denied them the kind of unity that might have taken place in their own uh, conceptions, HaKadosh Baruch told them to build the Mishkan, gold inside, and the Choshet on the other side. Then along came the Chet of, of uh, Korach, which was a Chet specifically having to do with the Mishkan and the, the future of uh, of worship, whether the Kohanim would be in charge or not. And so HaKadosh Baruch said, Zikaron, Ot, the sign, the memory, will be the Nechoshet that's on the, on the Mizbeach. And then, Shlomo HaMelech understood that as being the reality of things. And Shlomo HaMelech did not say, I'm going to do it the way I think it should have been done originally. But he said, we're the same people, and we carry the same burdens, and we have the same memory. And therefore, it's important for us that everything outside, that everybody sees, should be nechoshet. And in fact, he did, what he did was he added ten kiyorim. Like, you know, in his chatzer, Shlomo Melach, there were ten more kiyorim that he built. And they were all made out of, made out of nechoshet. I think it's, it's uh, unnecessary for me to say, so I'll say it anyway, that there is a relationship between gold and copper. I'm not talking about chemistry. I'm just talking about looking at it. you sort of like copper. Uh, you might say the copper is gold that didn't make it. So it didn't quite get to be that beautiful or that pure or that, that clean. But it's, like, it's not like uh, other things or where other metals where the colors are dark and black and, and ugly. Copper is is bright. I mean, the Marotta Tzavot, they use copper as, uh, as mirrors. Right? You're able to see your own reflection in the, in the copper. Uh, so, in any event, there was a transgression. There was an Avera. And there is this, uh, there is this matter of the Nechoshet, which we try to consider tonight. Have a good Shabbos. Marit, can we have Marit? Should we find Alice or both? Thank you.